We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. It's Wednesday morning, November 9th, and I want to cover the election results of November 8th, these major midterm elections that we've been all fussing and fretting over for the last several weeks. What does this all mean? What should we take away from the lessons learned from this election? That's today's topic. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. As I said in the introduction, it's Wednesday morning, November 9th, the day after the midterm elections. And we're all sitting around if we're political junkies like I am, or if you're just engaged in leadership in your community, either officially by some position, title, office that you hold, or if you're just engaged because you speak into the market square of ideas, you express your opinion. You write about it, you speak about it, you go to church, you talk to people, you talk to your neighbors, you put out yard signs, you lobbied, you fought for, you voted for your particular candidate, whether it be governor, superintendent of public instruction, whether it be council, city council member, or whether it be county commissioner or your senator, your congressman, whatnot. It's the day after elections. And what are we to make of all of this? Have we learned any lessons about who we are as a people, who we are as a country, and what we will do in terms of fulfilling our responsibilities to be citizens, informed citizens, leaders of our constitutional republic? What have we learned? That's today's show. I'm going to talk about Abraham Kuyper, who was the Prime Minister of the Netherlands back in the early 1900s. I'm going to talk about a quote of his. And then I'm going to talk about a couple hymns, How Great Thou Art, A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. I'm going to talk about these hymns, the stories behind these hymns, and then I'm going to conclude with the Lord's Prayer, the story behind that prayer, and how we use these lessons, these lessons of Scripture, these lessons of history, these lessons of the leaders that have gone before us. I'm going to talk about these lessons and how they apply to today. Our world today, here in America, here in the United States, in your town, in your state, in your country. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take an early break. And when I get back, I'm going to start out with just a brief review of the elections, very brief. And then I'm going to share with you the story of Abraham Kuyper. And then I'm going to talk to you about these hymns and what the writers of these hymns experienced in their lives and how it's very, very appropriate, very apropos for us today because they're teaching us how to engage in God's world, recognize that God is God and that you are not 
and that our responsibility is still to be obedient soldiers in the fight for Christ and his kingdom. But yet we have to take solace in the fact that the outcome is in the hands of a sovereign God. Again, I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, so welcome back to the rebellion. So the election results. If you live in Oklahoma, you're celebrating a couple things. Governor Stitt won handily, whereas the polls were showing, at least in some cases, that he was actually down a bit to Joy Hoffmeister, and I've covered that in a previous show. Joy Hoffmeister is a terrible candidate, a terrible candidate in every way. And we are so fortunate that we have Governor Stitt being reelected here in Oklahoma rather than him being unseated by this opportunist, this unprincipled person who will do anything for power. So praise the Lord for Governor Stitt's win. Um, Ryan Walters won as superintendent of public instruction, and that's a good thing. I've talked about him before. So we have strong leadership in education and in the gubernatorial office here in Oklahoma, and we're grateful for that. Um, It appears nationally that it's still likely that the House will go red, that our House of Representatives in the United States here in America will be controlled by Republicans, that Nancy Pelosi will no longer be Speaker of the House, and that Republicans will have a majority there. It still appears that that's going to take place. Now, the Senate is up for grabs still. In fact, as I'm reading the news this morning, it appears that it's still in the balance. Could the Republicans still get 51 or more? Maybe, but that's not a slam dunk. So this red wave that was going to overtake even the Senate of the United States is still in question. Uh, I can't uh, comment on election results without mentioning my own campaign for county commissioner here in Osage County. Again, if you're listening from outside the county or outside Oklahoma, you're probably saying, I don't care about that. But I did run for county commissioner here in District 1, Osage County, where I live here in Oklahoma, and I'm blessed. We won by about 74% to 26%. That's approximately 
our winning advantage here, and I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that good win last night and the hundreds of good people around me, my neighbors, that worked tirelessly for that campaign. And I want to say thank you to all of you who are in that area for helping me. And you know what? Some of you listening right now from out of state sent me money and helped me with this campaign. I'm grateful for you, too. So here's the, here's the take-home from last night's election. Um, some of you are happy. <laughs> some of you are not. Uh, all of us, I would argue, still feel anxious. Even if we you know, had a win locally, like Governor Stitt's win or Ryan Walter's win. And again, I'm thankful for my win as county commissioner. Even if you're grateful for a local win, you still feel some anxiety, don't you? Because here's the point. This is a time of great conflict and great instability in our country. We're divided. There's no question. It's a 50-50 split, essentially, across the entire country. Now, you've got pockets, obviously, like Osage County, where it's not 50-50. But by and large, across the nation, it just appears that we're two different countries, that we're very divided and very angry with one another, and we don't trust the other side of the fence. And in many cases, for good reason. I mean, I'm not going to apologize for being, for being very skeptical of the Democrat Party. I mean, if you're going to vote for this transitioning of our youngest children, that you can butcher their bodies because they have an imagination and they think they're something they're not, that's crazy talk in my world. If you're going to argue that it's okay to kill babies five seconds before birth, and even now, in this abortion debate, you've got people in California and elsewhere that are arguing for the right to terminate these babies months after they're born. I mean, they're actually making that argument. And I've said before that this is not illogical. It's just immoral. Because if you could kill it five seconds before its birth, why can't you kill it five seconds after its birth or five weeks after its birth if you find it to be inconvenient and you don't want it? I mean, this logic is prevailing across the land. Michigan changed its constitution toward this radical abortion as its highest ideal for the Democrat Party. And Gretchen Whitmer, by the way, won again up there. And that's something that all of my friends in Michigan, I'm sure, are just bemoaning. Or at least they should be. If I've got friends up there that think this is good, I'm just going to say shame on you. Um, shame on you for thinking that. I mean, it's not your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa's Democrat Party anymore. It's just not. Uh, it's not your grandfather's Oldsmobile, as the old commercial went. Uh, it's changed, and what you're voting for right now is evil. It's not just a different view of how to alleviate poverty and take care of children. No, that's not what we're debating any longer. We're debating uh, good and evil. So uh, it's a time of conflict and instability, great division. Uh, we're not agreeing. It's a 50-50 split, whether it be friends, family, towns, communities. There's this uh, anxiety that we feel. So what I want to do in the rest of the show is I want to encourage you rather than just fuel the fire of anxiety. I, I, don't want, you, I, I want you to recognize the lessons of history here. Again, as a conservative, I believe in conserving the time-tested truths, the lessons of history, the lessons that God has given us in Revelation as well as natural law. Uh, revelation meaning scripture, his word, that you can take to the bank. It doesn't change. This is the word of God. The Bible is true. It tells you who God is, how he works with us, and what our responsibility is. These are 
immutable truths. They don't change. And they're not ideas of man. These are ideas of God that have been passed down to us via Scripture. This is the revelation of God. But we also have natural law, natural revelation, if you will. We can look around and see reality for what it is. Um, We can see creation for what it is. We can see common moral standards for what they are. It's wrong to kill people. It's wrong to rape people. It's wrong to enslave people. We know this. And we know this even if we aren't Christian. We have the rules of God, the laws of God, the knowledge of God written on every human heart. So here's my point, my point of encouragement. God is in control. We are not. You are not. I am not. Now, we are his soldiers, yes. We're responsible for picking up arms, quote-unquote. And when I say that, I'm not calling for armed conflict against any government establishment here in the United States. No, it's a metaphor. We're, we are responsible for picking up arms, meaning we're responsible for carrying our ideas into the public square and engaging in intellectual, moral, legal battle, if you will. That's our responsibility. We're not supposed to just sit back and say, oh, we're going to wash our hands of this. We, you know, God's in charge. We, we don't have to go vote. We don't have to speak. We don't have to challenge bad ideas. No, that is irresponsible. But God is in charge. We are his soldiers, yes, but God decides who wins. Our job is to be obedient and trust him. Trust him with the results. Obedience, like a player on the field, we do what we're told to do. We've gone to practice. We've paid attention to the coach. We've memorized the plays. We've disciplined our bodies. And now we're in the game. But now it's time for us to just do our job as an athlete, but yet trust the coach. He's calling the plays because he's been in charge of the entire strategy. It's a broken analogy to some extent, but that's an analogy that makes sense to me. It's the relationship between an athlete and a coach. You can't claim to be a football player if you ignore the coach, don't go to practice, and don't pay attention to the plays. You're an armchair quarterback. You're not an athlete if you don't discipline yourself to obedience. So our job is to be obedient and trust the coach with a capital C. Trust God with the results. He's God, and we are not. Now, when I'm talking about this, I think of Abraham Kuyper. If you haven't heard of him before, let me spell his name for you so you can look him up and learn more about him. Kuyper is spelled K-U-Y-P-E-R. I'll say that again. K-U-Y-P-E-R. Abraham Kuyper. Now, who was he? Abraham Kuyper was the founder of the Free University in Amsterdam, and he was also the Prime Minister of the Netherlands from 1901 to 1905. Now, why do I think he's important? Because of this quote. Abraham Kuyper was an unapologetic follower of Jesus Christ. He was a Christian that was involved in the political arena. I mean, my land, he was elected as Prime Minister of the Netherlands, the head of his country. 1901 to 1905, and he was also an academic. He was involved in multiple universities, and he was actually the founder of one, like I said, the Free University in Amsterdam. Here's a quote. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine, close quote. Close quote. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign, 
Overall, does not cry. Mine. Abraham Kuyper, the Prime Minister of the Netherlands. Now, one paraphrase you hear of this often is that it is our job, and I've said it on this show before, it's our job, our responsibility, our calling, our charge, by our general, our coach, our God, Christ. It is our job to reclaim every inch of creation for Christ and his kingdom. That's a paraphrase, if you will, of Kuiper's quote. There's not a square inch in the whole domain of our existence, human existence, over which Christ, who's sovereign over all, he's God, does not cry, this is mine. Abraham Kuyper. So as we reflect on the elections, as we reflect on where we are in our culture right now, the culture wars, if you will, this 50-50 split that exists in our, in our country, don't forget that there's not one square inch of this, not one square inch of anything that exists in our human domain, in our reality, in our country, in our community, in our county, in our city, in our schools, in our city parks. There's not one square inch of any of this over which Christ is not claiming this is mine. Now, what does this mean? Kuiper is saying it is our obligation to fight for every square inch of those things. Fight for them. Now, he's not calling for a theocracy. Please don't go there. That is such a ruse. That's such bad logic. Christians are supposed to influence their culture as salt and light because that culture is Christ's. It's his kingdom. It's your obligation because Christ has said, this is mine. This is my creation. This is my world. And I am calling upon you to fight for goodness, justice, mercy, righteousness, beauty, truth over my creation because it's mine. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And that was what Abraham Kuyper argued for as prime minister of the Netherlands. Now, you'll notice that he never established a theocracy as prime minister. No, not at all, because that's not what he believed. He believed that it was the Christian's responsibility to be that salt and be that light for goodness, for beauty, for justice, for mercy, and for righteousness and truth in the public square, in the market square of ideas. Now, I'm going to share with you a couple stories of hymns here, old songs of the church that tell the same story. And the first one, the first one I'm going to talk about right now is How Great Thou Art. The story behind this hymn is that it was originally penned by a Swedish pastor by the name of Karl Boberg, who was sailing in 1886 off the coast of Sweden, and he was caught in a thunderstorm. And as he was in that vessel, that sailing ship, in the midst of this thunderstorm and all of the lightning and all, of, all that came with that particular uh, storm, he was filled with awe for God. And after the storm subsided, he penned this, uh, this hymn, this poem, and he titled it, How Great Thou Art. And it was later translated into German and Russian. Well, that's not the end of the story. In the 1930s, Stuart Hine, who was serving as a missionary in a village in Czechoslovakia, he heard the poem and the song in its Russian translation, and then he translated the first stanza into English. Okay, interestingly enough, this was all done in a thunderstorm again. Hine was in a thunderstorm. He, he was inspired 
by Boberg's poem and hymn, and he then translated it into English. But then he added the second and third stanzas as his own original work. And then in the outbreak of World War II, when Hein returned to England from Czechoslovakia, Czechoslovakia, excuse me, um, he he was trying to help the refugees in England who were concerned, scared with everything that was going on in World War II, the devastation of the free world. So he wrote the fourth verse of How Great Thou Art, which focused on Christ and the fact that there will be a time where he is victorious over everything because he's going to come as the victor over all of his kingdom. Now, if you don't remember these stanzas that I'm referring to, let me just read one of them, maybe two of them, I don't know. Uh, here's, here's the first one that started with Boberg, translated into Russian and German, then translated into English, and then the other stanzas added thereafter. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. And here's the chorus. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. See, Boberg and Hein were basically saying, God's in charge. Consider all the worlds his hands have made. The stars, the rolling thunder, and then you might actually add here metaphorically, the thunder of political conflict. Okay, there's stuff going on, but you have to recognize that Christ's power throughout all the universe is being displayed. They, they recognized this. They sang. They honored the fact that their souls were reaching up in adoration to their Savior God. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Here's the last stanza. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Let's go to another hymn. This one is one that you should know. It's a classic of the Reformation. In fact, it's been called the Battle Hymn of the Reformation. This song was authored and penned by Martin Luther himself. This is the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now, you need to remember, Luther was excommunicated by the Pope. He, he was going through deep depression. He, he, his life was in jeopardy. And in the midst of this conflict, this political conflict, where he could be in jail for the rest of his life, he could be killed, he could be executed, this was not a small issue for him. Luther pens this. He says, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. He's referring to Satan, the devil, right now, when he says his craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not as equal. And then Luther goes on and says this, Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. 
we're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Who's he talking about right now? Well, he answers it in the next phrase, the next stanza. You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must win the battle. Listen to the next one, the next stanza here. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his triumph and truth through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. This is a fantastic, fantastic hymn of the faith. Luther is in the midst of not just spiritual conflict, but political conflict and the reality of the devil's work, of oppression, of the squashing of dissent, of the cancel culture to its extreme. I mean, the Pope is going to cancel Luther, cancel his words, cancel his 95 theses that he posted on the Wittenberg door. He's going to fight against the Reformation, the reforming, the revival of the returning of to true north of, of the gospel of, of Christianity. And Luther is on the front lines, and he's depressed, and he's writing this song. Here's the, here's the next stanza. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. How many times have I said that? Truth with a capital T? Our obligation is to fight for God's truth, recognizing that let goods and kindred go, and this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Abraham Kuyper? Martin Luther? Boberg? Hein? I mean, they're all saying the same thing. It's our obligation. It's our obligation. Even though the body they may kill, it's our obligation to be on the front lines, to be on the front lines for Christ and his kingdom, to reclaim every inch of creation for Christ and his kingdom. Because there's not one square inch of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, this is mine. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Now, I want to share with you one more hymn. One more hymn here. But I, I want to give you a quick background, a quick background story to this hymn. This one is, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ, yes he has, has regarded my helpless estate, and he has shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Who, who wrote that song? What's the story behind that? 
Well, that hymn was written by Horatio Spafford. It was 1871. And why did he write it? Well, he was a Chicago lawyer. Um, and his family, his wife and kids, left without him to travel from the United States to Europe on a ship. The ship was caught in a storm and it went down. And while Mrs. Spafford survived, um, their four daughters died. They were swept away. They drowned at sea. So uh, after receiving a telegram of this tragedy, this terrible, terrible thing in his life, Spafford um, got on his own ship to travel to Europe to be with his wife, who was there in mourning. And while his ship was traveling across the North Atlantic, he reached the approximate spot where the, uh, the ship went down with his children, and he penned this hymn while he was at that spot. And again, the key stanza here is, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, another way to look at this is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.